how many of you have ever thanked a police officer? Anybody? Yeah, right? I think it's a nice gesture. I appreciate your service. Thanks for keeping us safe. How many of you have ever thanked a police officer after committing a crime? Okay. Yeah, the, the number has gone down significantly, right? I'm going to share something with you. I, I hope at the end of this I don't lose my job. Um, I, I know you're probably thinking, Adam, you did something wrong. This was before my pastor days. Remember, we don't do that. Uh, but Delaware Valley always had what was called A-Day. It was basically like a big, uh, a big festival, a big farm uh, kind of animals. And, and so when Remington was younger, we lived close by. And so we'd go, and we'd ride the rides, and we'd see all the animals and do the activities. But when we came, you know, they had a parking, parking lot, and it said $10. And I say, $10? You know what? I'm going to park down the side street. I'm going to save myself the money, and I'm not going to spend the $10. So I park down the side street, ignoring all of the signs that say no parking. Now, in my defense, all the other cars were doing it. Okay? So we went. We had a good time. I came out, and there was a lovely ticket sitting on my windshield. And I looked at that ticket, and it said, you can either email your payment in, you can go online, or you can come to the station and you can pay it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to the station. I'm going to deal with this. And so I went into the station, and a lady was sitting there behind the counter, and I said, I have a fine. I was parking where I wasn't supposed to. She said, okay. And I said, I would like to pay it. And I'd like to thank you, because this ticket is only $15. I feel that that is a fair and appropriate punishment because I broke the law. Now, she was taken back by this, and she's like, oh, well, okay, thank you. And I said, no, seriously. I look at this as a situation where you guys could have, you could have taken advantage and you could have given me an exorbitant amount, but I said $15 is fair. I could have paid 10 but I chose not to, and so here's the 15 And she said, well, thank you very much, and I hope you have a good day. And you know what I did? I had a good rest of the day. Now... I tell that story because it was only $15. I'm sure if that was like $200, we'd have a different ending to the story, right? Okay, but as we go through the book of Micah today, we're going to talk about this idea, this idea of what does it mean to be an acceptant sinner? Because I can't recall too many times in my life where I've thanked my parents, my coaches, my teachers, my bosses, that whenever I've done something wrong and I've been punished, that I thank them for punishing me. That, that's not part of our normal routine, right? Typically, when we get in trouble, we're, we're, we're pleading for mercy or praying that nobody ever finds out where anything worse happens with them. So we're going to be in the book of Micah. We're going to be specifically starting in chapter 6, but i got to give you some backdrop before we get to chapter 6. Micah was a prophet from an agricultural country outside of Jerusalem. And he probably came from more humble beginnings, which is why a lot of times you'll notice in the book of Micah, he really addresses the plight of the poor. He really addresses those that are kind of downtrodden. I think he has a special heart for those individuals. And it's his job as a prophet to speak on behalf of God. God says, you're going to go, you're going to speak to my people, and you are going to point them back to me, essentially tell them, stop committing the sins that you're doing. Stop disobeying and follow me. That's the job of a prophet, and that's the job of Micah. Now, Micah is speaking to both the northern kingdom of, of 
Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, eventually, both of these kingdoms are going to fall. Uh, Israel is going to fall a whole lot quicker. Judah is going to come later. They're going to have some other prophets speak to them. But ultimately, both of them are going to find themselves in trouble with God and have to deal with the punishment of what's going to happen. So he starts in chapter 1, verse 2. Micah says this. He says, Hear you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you from the Lord of his holy temple. So he says, gather around, guys. Listen up. I'm going to let you know what you've been doing. I'm going to let you know how you've been wrong, and you're going to have to stand on trial for this. And so he goes through chapter 1, and he goes through chapter 2, laying out all of the sins and disobedience that Israel has committed. He talks about their, their transgressions, their iniquity, the corruption, the poor leadership that happens. And he says, God is coming to judge you. Now we get to the end of chapter 2 in 12 and 13, and he ends chapter 2 like this. He says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. Like a flock in its pasture, the place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go before them, and they will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. At their head. So he ends kind of the, the second chapter on a more positive note, that there's, there's restoration, and, and God's going to come, and, and he's going to be your shepherd, and he's, he's going to bring you guys back into the sheep pen. And then he goes back into chapter 3, and he lays out more evils and, and all of the corruption that they've done. And he talks about all about how, how you're favoring the rich over the poor, and it's an act of injustice. And then he comes to chapter 4 and 5 where now he starts to lay out this grandiose vision of what the messianic kingdom is going to look like and, and how God is going to restore his people and how he's going to deal with evil. So there's this back and forth that Mike has been having, where he says, you're going to be judged and, and, and here's what you've done wrong, but don't worry, there's hope and there's restoration and, and, and here's all the things that you did wrong again, but I want you to know how this is going to turn out. But again, here's what you've done wrong and you've got to stop sinning, but it's okay because in the end I'm going to deal and I'm going to handle with all of this. So, so he's going back and forth, back and forth, and now we come to chapter 6. And he continues this very same process. So chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. He says, mountains, you guys are going to stand as the jury. You are going to be the witnesses. You are going to hear the case of God against his people and what they have done. And so verse 3, now God's going to lay out his case. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron and Miriam, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God says, there's four things I want you to hear. 
And I, and I don't understand. There's, there's, there's multitude of miracles that I've done for you, but let me just lay out four things that I've done because I don't understand, my children, how you could turn your back against me. He says, remember, I brought you out of Egypt. I, I redeemed you from the bondage of slavery. I brought you out of Pharaoh's hand, and as he oppressed you, I led you across the Red Sea and through the wilderness, and I cared for you. And then I gave you competent leaders. I gave you Moses and Aaron. And they were to guide you in the path of righteousness. And, and in Numbers 22, when, when Balak wants to, to punish Israel, and he keeps figuring out, he says, I don't get it. What's going on? Why are they not being punished? And so he calls, he calls Balaam in and he says, I want you, you're a prophet. I want you to curse Israel. Balaam says, I can't do that. I can't prophesy against God. And every time Balak wants him to do it, Balaam just continues to offer praises. And Balak, I told you to curse, not praise. And God says, that was me. I, I turned the curses of your enemies into praises for you. And when you were there at, at Shittim in that final town, getting ready to honor in, into the promised land, Joshua's three and four, that was me. I, I was the one that parted the Jericho so you could walk across dry ground and into the land that I promised. So just like I parted the Red Sea and I brought you out of oppression, I parted the river so I brought you into my promised land. I did all of this for you. I don't understand how you could turn your backs on me. So now the defendants have a chance to speak. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Now, in a way, Israel's kind of pleading its case to God, but in a way, it's kind of an offhanded comment to him. They're really kind of saying, God, you know, what do you really want? You know, it seems like nothing's ever going to be good enough. What if I, what if I bring a burnt offering of a calf? No, that's not going to be good enough for you. What if, what if I bring a thousand rams? No, that's not going to be good enough for you, God. Ten thousand things of oil? No, that's not going to be. You know, what if I give you my own son, God? Are you going to be satisfied then? No, not even that's going to satisfy you, God. And so away, they're, they're just taunting God. It's never good enough for you, God. It's never good enough for you. What can we do? You tell us, God. What are we able to do? And the other sense of this is what have they done? Instead of trying to find a solution to reconcile with God, they've simply just made this a ritual offering. You know, we talked all about Leviticus, right? We talked about how God laid out the sacrificial system. And all of that was, was to point to the coming of Christ and how there had to be a, a penalty and a punishment for our sins, that something had to die and that blood had to be shed. And that was an important part. But none of that matters when our hearts are not in the right place. 
See, if I just put ritual offering before the desire of my own heart, God says, well, this is worthless because your heart's not in the right spot. See, all they've done is taken the covenant of God and turned it into a contract. See, God's covenant is based on a promise and faithfulness. And they said, that's not what we want. We just want a set of rules that we need to know what to do. Because really, I just want to be able to do what I need to do so I can move on with my life. That's what Israel's response was to God. And Micah in verse 8 says, you want to know what you need to do? You want to know what God is asking of you? Here's what God wants. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to act with justice. I want you to have mercy. I want you to humble yourselves in a relationship with me and walk with me. That's what God wants. God doesn't want any more sacrifices from you because those sacrifices are meaningless. I want you to live in a way that I've called you to live with other people, to love them and have care and compassion. I want you to live in that very same breath with me, to love me, to have compassion with me, to care and obey. That's what I want. But you don't want to do it. You just want to keep sinning and go about your days. So in verse 9, he says, listen, listen up, because I'm going to go through this again. And he lists out all of the things they're doing again in the end of, through the end of chapter 6. That they're going to be punished, they're deceitful, and they're evil people. And so now we come to chapter 7, verse 1. Micah says, What misery is mine! I am like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Micah takes this position of, of misery. He takes this position of lament on behalf of Israel. And he says, I go out and there's nothing here. And he just laments before God. But then there's a change. There's something that shifts in Micah's mind. In verse 7, after lamenting of, of what's going to happen, he says, But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, and though I have fallen, I will rise, and though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He says, look, everything that's going to happen, I get it. I get we deserve to be punished. The enemies are going to come and they're going to send us into exile. I understand that. But I'm going to wait and I'm going to have hope in my God. Because something's going to change. And the enemies are going to come and they're going to ravage and they're going to pillage and they're going to steal and they're going to kill and they're going to cast us off. I know that, God. But I'm waiting in hope in you. Because we will rise. And he says to the enemies, 
I don't want you to gloat when you come in. Don't get all excited of, look we did, look what we did to the Israelites. Oh, where is their God? Look how we destroyed them. I don't want you to, to think you're, you're this amazing army because your time is coming. So I sit in a period of darkness, but the light will shine. And so now we come to verse 9. This is where we start to see the, mind, the mindset of how Micah starts the shift and the attitude of his heart. He says, because I have sinned, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right and he will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. I have sinned, God. God, we have sinned as a nation, as your children. We have violated your commands. We have violated what you have called us to do. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to bear the wrath of God. I'm going to endure the punishment, and kill. God decides he's going to make it right. So when the invasion comes and the hardship, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to accept it until God says enough is enough. And now I'm going to handle my people. So again, if enemies, you think that you're doing great, If you're all excited when you guys come, don't be, because your time's coming. So now we flip over to 16 and 17, because now he's going to talk to these nations. And he says, Nations will see and be ashamed. Deprived of all of their power, they will lay their their hands on their mouths, and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens and they will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will and we'll be afraid of you. He says, listen, guys, God's going to handle you. God's going to come or you, you, God's going to send you and you're going to come and you're going to deal with Israel and you're going to deal with us. But after you've dealt with us, And God has given us our punishment. He's going to turn on you. So don't go gloating and and, and don't be happy happy about what's going on. You will lick the dust. And that is a symbol of defeat, like a king on the ground, groveling for mercy. Please spare me, spare me. That's what it's going to be like for you before God. And you're going to come crawling out of your little dens and your holes, and you are going to recognize who God is. So if you think that you are doing amazing, you are sadly mistaken because there is a day that is coming where this will be flipped on its head. So Micah says, I accept my punishment. I'm willing to accept what I've done because I know that I have sinned and it is my right out of my disobedience to bear the wrath of God and to accept whatever punishment comes along. And he can say this 
because he knows what he's about to accept is only going to be temporary. And he knows what lies ahead on the other side. And so Mike is extremely confident. And here's how he finishes the book. 18. He says, Who is a God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you have pledged an oath to our fathers in days long ago. The whole book goes back and forth of judgment and hope, judgment and hope, judgment and hope. That there, there will be a punishment, but there will be restoration. You will be punished, but you will be restored. And Micah ends with that understanding. Because what he understands about who God is. And what does he say? He says, let me tell you about the character of God. If you don't know, God forgives our sins for the things that we do wrong. God, God will deal with our iniquities. He's not going to be angry forever. Quite frankly, God wants to show mercy to us. He delights in that. He doesn't want to punish us. He would prefer not to. And he's full of compassion. And where do we see that played out? At the cross. When he sends his son Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. There his son hangs there, bearing the wrath and the penalty of mankind. And that if we are willing to acknowledge our own sinfulness and acknowledge the goodness of God, and that the saving grace and faith in Jesus Christ is ours, he says, you will be forgiven and you will be my children. And why does God do this? Because God is faithful to his promise. Remember when he made his promise to Abraham? And he said, you will be my people. And I will redeem you. And I will redeem this world. Out of you, Abraham, will, will come a seed. Through your line, Abraham, the Messiah, the Redeemer will come. And eventually that line comes with Jesus Christ at the cross. He said, I've made you that promise. So when punishment is about to happen, you know what Micah says? God, just give me the key. Just give me the key, God. I'll let myself into the jail cell and I'll lock it myself. And you just tell me when you want me to be done and I'll unlock the key and I'll come out. You don't have to, I'll do it myself, God. I fully accept this penalty and the reason why I'm doing it is because I understand the God that I serve. And I understand who I am. So what about us? Has the character of God changed? No, it hasn't. God is still faithful to his promises. He is still merciful and full of compassion. And he is still willing to pardon our sins. Are we sinners? Yes. Do we deserve to be punished for our sins? Yes. Does anyone want to be punished? No. 
None of us do. I don't want to be punished. But if God is just, if God is a God of justice, then he must confront evil and he must deal with it. Because if God just ignored the penalty of our sins, God would no longer be good and would no longer be just. But God is able to combine his justice with his mercy and his grace upon our lives and merge them together at the cross. And God is a covenantal God of hope. And he says, judgment is coming, but so is redemption. One commentator spoke of the book of Micah this way. He said, the liberating light of grace flowing from the Lord's steadfast love, overcomes the ominous sentence due to sin. Forgiveness is grounded in God's faithfulness to his promise. God's grace flows out on us, and his love flows out on us. And when we know that grace and that love, we don't have to worry about the the sentence and the punishment that is due because I know the promises that God has for me. And so when we come to confess before God, it's like we're standing on trial. And we come before God so many times and we come quaking and we think, I'm going to have to tell God and I just know what God's going to do. God is just, he's going to smite me and he's going to crush me and he's going to destroy me because of the wretchedness of who I am. Uh, That's what God is going to do. And and we're so afraid of the judgment that lies ahead of us. But Micah says you don't need to fear that. You don't need to fear that judgment because of the character of who God is. Because we know that whatever God does, and God may graciously say, you know what? I'm withholding punishment from you. But God may also say, you know what? This time, this time you're going to deal with the consequence. But Micah understands that what lies on the other side of that punishment is in our best interest. That when God chooses to punish, he doesn't choose to punish because he's out to destroy us. God chooses to punish us because he's pointing us to his holiness. He says, I want you to understand that my holiness is the best thing for you. And sometimes it doesn't sink in right away. And if we can accept that, if we can accept what lies in eternity, if we can accept our punishment, and know what lies on the other side is in our best interest, I am going to be better for it. I am going to have a greater relationship with God as a result of it. So if our confession needs to happen, not only with God, but with each other, understand that when somebody comes to you at a place of confession, it's not easy. And they are probably terrified of what you are going to do to them. And so we need to have the character of God that says, I'm willing to be gracious and merciful. Now, that doesn't mean 
That doesn't mean there's no punishment. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to think about the way that we interact with someone. And if you're sitting here thinking, I know I need to make amends with this person, but I am so afraid of what they're going to do. We are going to trust and put our faith that they are going to have the character of God and they are going to be gracious with us. And I am going to willingly accept whatever comes along because the bigger issue is not about how much I'm going to be punished, but the bigger issue is that I am attempting to reconcile with my brother and sister in Christ. That's what I more should be concerned about. Just as my desire should be, I need to reconcile with God. So we so often focus on and fear the gavel. But we need to change our mindset just as Micah did. As Micah was willing to shift, we need to be willing to shift. So instead of fearing the gavel, what we need to be is thankful for the one that holds the gavel. Because when that gavel goes down, it's out of love for us. Let's pray. Lord, we have preached a message. We've heard your word uh, in a manner that's probably drastically different than anything that we have ever thought. God, none of us wants to be punished. But Micah has shown us that there is blessing in that and there is goodness in what you've done. And he was willing to accept it. But Lord, we, we accept it because of your faithfulness. God, how good you are to us. That you're willing to say, I'm going to punish, but I'm going to redeem. Lord, how you speak to us in a manner that says, what I have is better than anything you could ever imagine. And so you call us to walk humbly with you. So again, Lord, I pray within the heart of our hearts, with, within our souls, that your spirit would convict. That your spirit would call us back to you to be restored, to be redeemed to bring reconciliation to a severed relationship. And, and again, if that needs to happen with someone else, that we wouldn't put it off, but that would become top priority in our lives to get right with you and to get right with others because of your great love. Amen.